everybody, welcome into the Irish NFL show. Looking ahead to the games on week 18. It's been, well, it's it's a unique situation in the NFL week 18. And we're delighted to have two games on Saturday nights. Uh, the Irish NFL show is presented by Trust Gaming and also Matchbook Betting Exchange. You can look ahead to all the odds on matchbook.com and on the app as well. More on that during the show. Delighted to be joined by Colin Cronin, Brian O'Leary, Mark Poppin in the wild. But our first guest tonight is going to look ahead to this late game on Saturday night, early Sunday morning. The Philadelphia Eagles going up against the Dallas Cowboys. Two teams in the playoffs already. Delighted to welcome Bo Wolf from the Athletic in Philadelphia. Bo, how's it going? It's going very well. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a few months, Bo, since you were last on. It's it's really been a month or a couple of months of change in Philadelphia. Like we were saying on a podcast recently, they go into Denver with the record not looking so great, but now, look, this team has made serious strides over the last few weeks. Yeah, no doubt about it. And what's, what is difficult with this team to sort of figure out and parse is how much of their second half improvement has been from just playing an easy schedule and versus how much has been this identity change. And there really has been a stark identity change, especially on offense. The first half of the season, they were like the third most pass heavy offense in the entire league. Since then they've been by far the most run, the most run heavy team in the entire league. So uh, they have sort of built their offense more around their strengths, utilized Jalen hurts as a runner. Um, and that is what is like just from a neutrals perspective. And, and I think from just the, uh, you know, from our perspective as people who cover the team is what's so exciting about the playoffs is we're going to maybe get a little bit of an answer to that. Is this team actually much better or have they just been um, a product of their schedule? Now, I would also say like, you know, people say they haven't beaten a team with a winning record. That is true, but they're also like blowing those teams out, which makes a difference. Um, I think only the Bills and Patriots have won by an average of more points than the Eagles have. So I think it's for real, like their, their offensive change. I question the defense in a general sense, but um, I'm excited to see what they can do in the playoffs. Oh, well, Michael mentioned the Broncos there and the Eagles put 30 points on, on a Vic Fangio defense. But I'm interested, I suppose, particularly around Jalen Hurts and second year QB goes in the second round. Am I being too nice to Jalen Hurts and saying I've been really impressed? Now, is that because I saw Drew Locke and what Drew Locke was in his second season last Oof. year? Um, but I, I've, I've been impressed by Hurts and I, I know they've schemed around him, but that's what good teams do is you play to your team's strengths. But he's made the throws he's made to make. I'm thinking about that, particularly that touchdown pass to Smith against the Broncos. But I know Dan Orlovsky has done a lot of tape on Jalen Hurts and being impressed. You're on the on the ground there. You see him more than we do. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think it's too nice at all to say that you've been impressed by Jalen Hurts. I, th I think he has been very impressive. I think I think the Eagles themselves as an organization are probably um, a little bit pleasantly surprised by what they've seen from Jalen Hurts this season. And this last game against Washington was an interesting game because the two games before that, Jalen Hurts was coming off this ankle injury that had cost him a game and he wasn't running as much. And so you were worrying if the offense was going to be as effective and Washington really sold out to stop the Eagles running game um, on last Sunday. Now the Eagles were, were also without Miles Sanders, but they were not as effective running the ball as they had been for the seven games previous when they had run for over 175 yards. 
But Jalen Hurts sat in the pocket, made some really difficult throws, uh, like very uh, nice precision going through his reads, uh, going through his progressions. The, the one play that uh, Dan Orlovsky highlighted on Twitter, which you may have seen, was, was a beautiful throw. There's a guy right in his, right in his lap, and he makes a, a nice throw to Dallas Goddard. Um, and I think if you are an Eagles fan, what you're hoping for long term with Jalen Hurts is that he has he has shown over these first two seasons and just within his second season, the ability to tangibly improve like in specific areas. It was avoiding turnovers last year. Uh, he's He's been making more throws while rolling out just the second half of the season than he was in the first half of the season. And I think if you if you want to like sort of wish cast on, on his future. You can think that, okay, that was what we saw in year two. What kind of jump could he make from year two to year three? You know, could this be sort of like uh, Dak Prescott's career arc where uh, he, so he starts as sort of a caretaker for the offense, but he grows into a much bigger role where he is the, the engine that drives the offense. Um, so I, I think there, there's no doubt that Jalen Hurts has done enough to earn a job for next year, depending on, you know, unless the Eagles go on for somebody like Russell Wilson, um, and then from there, next year, you can reassess and figure out if you still want to uh, move with him moving forward or try to find a replacement in 2023. Bo, the last time you were on the show was, in fact, the Thursday night when the Eagles were playing at home to the Bucks. And depending on how this weekend plays out with the permutations, there is a potentially a rematch coming in the wildcard round with the Bucks being at yeah. home to the Eagles or they could travel to the Rams. I'm just interested to hear what you think in terms of the concept for this game against the Cowboys. Will they, will they go to win? Will they be conservative? Will they look at players' availability and injuries? Or do you think they'll go all out to win the game and let's see how it plays out thereafter? So what time is the game uh, for you guys? Uh, what 20, time early 20, in the morning? 20 past one, it kicks off. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be worth staying up for. If I'm, if I'm perfectly honest, um, the Eagles have like no incentive to play in this game. Uh, they, they're like, whether they win or lose has almost no effect on whether they earn the six or seven seed. There's this like weird symbiosis with the, the Rams Niners game uh, where no matter what the outcome is, the Eagles are more likely to play the bucks. Um, and so that's one, that's one reason they're like, there's, there's no reason for them to play Two. You know, they've got 12 guys on the reserve COVID list, uh, including Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox and, and a bunch of other guys who play. And three, like th there are guys who are injured and guys who matter, um, who, who could use the rest, specifically Jalen Hurts, who is playing on that injured ankle. I think it would be silly to, to play him in this game and not hope that another week of rest is going gonna, is gonna to do a lot of good for that playoff game. You know, Jordan Mailata, the left tackle, has been dealing with an ankle injury and he played his worst game of the season last week. So I think he could use the rest as well. My expectation, you know, Nick Sirianni spoke earlier today and, and said they still haven't made a decision yet, which to me sounds like they're going to be resting everybody who matters that they are able to rest. So I don't think, I, I mean, there's always a distinction between, um, you know, playing to win versus playing your guys. I mean, they're going to play to win. They're going to try to win the game with the guys who are on the field. But I don't think that uh, most of the Eagles' best players are, are going to be playing in this game. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, across the board for a lot of teams in week 18 and all these permutations and some just don't stick. So we'll see what happens. Uh, looking at the Eagles, both, like they really have some efficient players on certain positions. And for me, the running back position, when you got Sanders, Scott Howard and Gainwell, I know some are doubtful or out this week and 
I'm more so looking ahead to maybe next week and maybe the week after. Who knows what's going to happen? But they've really got that efficiency right at, at the running game, seeing Gainwell against the Jets, for example, and then the next week somebody else breaks out. Yeah, um, and, and it's going to be interesting for that playoff game, too, to see what they can do because Miles Sanders has been out. Uh, he was out last week and will be out this week with an injury, but the Eagles didn't place him on injured reserve because they were hoping he was going to be able to come back for that first playoff game. So uh, their hope is that he will be available. And if he is, I would imagine that he'll be the lead back. Uh, Boston Scott and Jordan Howard are both on the, the COVID list right now, but um, as long as they recover, they'll be able to play next week. And, and that would mean that you know Gainwell is the guy uh, who will be the guy on Saturday night against the Cowboys. But he has been uh, – his role has decreased as the season has gone on Gainwell. He, he started as the third down back and has been sort of supplanted by both Boston Scott and Jordan Howard. So I'm curious to see how he does on Saturday night. But, the, you know, the truth is beyond, behind this offensive line um, with Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata, who are all among the best at their positions, Landon Dickerson, who has been pretty good as a rookie second-round pick, and with Jalen Hurts, with the threat that he poses to the defense – you know, like it's not hard to find a running back who can be efficient. Uh, it should be pretty easy. And so I, I think they get credit more for uh, the production of the Eagles running game than, than the running backs do in particular. Yeah, maybe we can lean a little into that, Bo, because that offensive line, especially maybe since middle of November, has been so impressive. And Mylata is just, well, I mean, he's a man mountain. Um, but he's a guy who, you know, ha has come into his own. And Dickerson, those two guys on the left have offered incredible protection. Which obviously now uh, the the fastest safety, uh, or sorry, fastest center in the in the NFL. That's right. Um, there's all sorts going on uh, with that line. Is this what the Eagles expected? Is this uh, way ahead of where they thought this line would be? I mean, obviously, you you've talked about the impact for running backs and uh, you know I almost feel that yeah whoever you put in there they'd be productive but like is it a surprise the line has has come together like this I would say that it is uh, whether it's a surprise or not it's by design um, the way that that Howie Roseman wants to build a team is always from the inside out especially up front along the offensive line and so you know that's why they use a second round pick on Landon Dickerson even though when they drafted him, there was no position for him to start right away. Uh, you know, they had Isaac Sayamalo as the left guard. He got injured. And Brandon Brooks, the pro bowler at red guard, and he got injured early in the season. That's why Dickerson is now in the lineup. Um, they have always invested at that position. You know, they've got a former first-round pick on the bench in Andre Dillard, uh, who, who they traded up to get a few years ago. He was, so he, you know, he was battling with Jordan Mailata in the summer for that left tackle job. Mailata won that job pretty handily by my eyes. But uh, they are always going to invest in the offensive line. And, and the other key to things here is their offensive line coach, Jeff Stoutland, um, who gets a lot of credit for, for Mylotta's development, uh, not taking it away from Mylotta himself. But uh, those guys swear by him. And, you know, I think there's been sort of a push that he could be like the assistant coach of the year, which is an award they have in, in the NFL now. It's usually just for coordinators. But I, I think that he sort of like a lifetime achievement award would, would deserve something like that. He is... Um, without a doubt, the most important coach on the staff. And he's one of, uh, I think, two guys who were held over from Doug Peterson's staff. And there was like a real effort from 
Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman to make sure that he stayed because they know how much, how much value he brings. And so um, there has been a lot of shuffling at some of the other positions. Nate Herbig is the guy who's playing right guard. Now he's like the, the fourth guy to play that position this season. Um, and things are, are working out mostly fine, uh, save for their, their performance last week, which was a, an abnormally down game. You know, I think it's, it was seven straight games of 175 yards rushing. You don't do that without, without a great offensive line. Well, probably more an off-season question, but earlier on in the season, Harry Roseman was being criticised by some of the local radio stations and then obviously some of the, the fans were getting on his, on his back. But going into this draft come April, three first-round picks, quarterback situation seems a little bit more clear-cut at the moment compared to where it was this time 12 months ago. I mean, you'd argue the Eagles are probably one of the teams in the league who, in terms of the teams who have numerous first-round picks, that are probably really in the best position because those picks are spread right across the board within... I suppose at the moment, if you look at Tankathon in terms of where those picks are, so they're in a great position going forward. You would think. Yeah, it's funny because uh, just like the Eagles have had this great second half, so have the Dolphins and Colts, the other two teams whose first round picks the Eagles own. And so, like in Week Seven, it looked like the Eagles might have three top ten picks, and now all of those picks are going to be somewhere between like seventeen and twenty four or something like that, maybe up down to fifteen or so. Um, so it's a little bit disappointing, but obviously the Eagles would trade uh, their own performance for that, for that outcome. And part of the reason is like, now you, now you found out that you don't necessarily need to move up to draft a quarterback per se, but uh, the, the pressure is going to be on Howie Roseman to, to hit those picks. Um, he, his draft record, especially at the top of the draft has been uh, up and down uh, to, to be sort of generous. Um, you know, there's the, the famous taking Jalen Rager one spot ahead of, Justin Jefferson and the Vikings are sort of celebrating and they can't believe the fact that the Eagles pass on Justin Jefferson. And we know how that has turned out. Uh, there are some other high profile misses, including Dillard, but you know, he's been around long enough that he also has plenty of hits guys who are on the roster, like Fletcher Cox and, and Lane Johnson. And even this 2018 draft class that they have extended a bunch of guys this season, Dallas Goddard, Avante Maddox, Josh Sweat, Jordan Mailata. That was a, that was a home run of a draft. And so, um, he has to have something close to that. I would, I would think my expectation is uh, without, you know, this is not reporting, but just knowing how, how they do things. I would be surprised if they keep all three first round picks this off season. I think they would probably uh, in their, you know, in, in their dreams, like to be able to acquire a, a 2023 first round pick for one of those. Uh, that way they have the, the ammunition the following off season to make a move for a quarterback if they decide that they need to do that. Um, and, and then the other thing is like th they need to fix the defense to some degree. So my, my expectation is that uh, if they do keep all three, at least two of them are used on the defense, but um, knowing the way that, that Howie Roseman builds things, I, I think the, the line of scrimmage is always where he's going to be looking in the first round. Just to finish up, Bo, before we let you go, what's your thoughts on this game on Saturday night? Obviously week 18, it's a whole new surrounding for all of us, all these different records, records that can be broken as well. And I, I know mm, people have true. opinions on that, but the, what's your thoughts on this game? And do you think the Eagles can get a win? Uh, it's hard to say without knowing who's going to play and, and how much the Cowboys are going to play their guys. But, but uh, if it is true that the Cowboys are going to at least start, you know, Dak Prescott and Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs and those guys, and they're going up against Gardner Minshew, Minshew and an offensive line of, of all backups. I would be I would be hard pressed to pick the Eagles to win this game, um, but I think Gardner Minshew is a, is a guy who is like, you know, always fired up to try to get a win. So th this is not going to be you know. There's a distinction between 
uh, playing to win and resting your guys, which, which I said before, and I think they're going to play to win. Um, but push come to shove, I, I, I would have to pick the Cowboys to win this game. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see what happens in the, the playoffs when the Eagles are back to potentially full strength. And Bo, we want to thank you for uh, taking the, the time to join us this evening on the news that you received the, that the Athletic has new ownership with the, the New York mm. Times taken over. But you can check out Bo's work over at the Athletic and find him on uh, Twitter as well. And Bo, hopefully we will uh, talk to you again in the not too distant future. Sounds good, guys. Enjoy the playoffs. Just looking ahead to this Eagles-Cowboys game, great to talk a bit of Eagles there. Now, I'm going to talk a bit of Cowboys with Tony Catalina, who covers the Cowboys for blogging. The boys, uh, we had a couple of other guys on previously. Good to have you on the show, Tony. How's it going? Michael, um, oh, I thought you were going to ask in, in relation to, has Tony ever been to, to Ireland? It's one of those weeks. It's one of those weeks. My bad. My bad. Um, Tony, yeah, we, we usually ask our guests when they join us for the first time, have you ever been to Ireland? Have you any Irish heritage? You know, it's funny. I've never been to Ireland, and I'm uh, I'm about as much of an Italian as you could possibly be without being fully Italian. So it's, uh, I've definitely not been to Ireland. <laughs> now, Tony, last weekend was a disappointing game for the Cowboys, um, dropping out of number two seed. I think going into the game last weekend, they, were, they had the number two seed at their peril and it was a difficult loss and there's a lot of conversations around poor decisions by the referees but I suppose as the week's gone on I think a lot of people felt that the Cowboys just didn't play well last weekend what were your thoughts on last weekend's game and do you see it I suppose rolling over this weekend they probably won't play as many first teamers going into this game against the Eagles you know it's 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 it was disappointing to see that everything that they wanted was still in front of them right I mean I know Green Bay has been playing you know, really well. And the one seed wasn't a huge or real realistic possibility, but to see that everything as far as the two seed was still out there in front of them. And um, it was, it was tough to see them go out there, play Arizona as poorly as they did. Um, and when you play against good teams and you, you don't come ready to play, you, um, you get beat. So here we are, we're in a situation where there's at least a, a 94% chance you're going to be the four seed. And, um, and that's just kind of the bed they made. Right. So now they're going to have to either play Arizona again, or possibly even the Rams, the way things shake out. And, and now you're looking at a tougher wild card matchup than you probably thought you could have gotten going into last week. Tony, I, I'm, I, I'm loving them. I mean, Tony Cantalina, you're right. You couldn't get much more Italian than that. We've had uh, Scott Pioli and Michael Lombardi on, and they're kind of obviously much more of the Italian-American frame of, uh, of reference. But I'm not going to dwell on the Cardinals game. It's been a pretty awesome season for the Cowboys. I mean, both sides of the ball have been humming at times. You've got the standout defensive rookie of the year, arguably a contender for defensive player of the year, Boom and bust at cornerback with Mr. Diggs. It's either going to be an inception or a long completion sometimes. But it's been a fascinating year. You look like real Super Bowl contenders. One negative, obviously, last week, Michael Gallup's injury. I mean, CeeDee Lamb's amazing, but he's been a big part of that offense and taking some of that attention away. How do you think that's going to shift this team going into the postseason, especially with this week basically being a preseason game in terms of the lineups that are going out? You know, it's funny. I think... I think that the Cowboys have had, um, you know, they've had some practice of not having Michael Gallup this year. He's he's mis a missed majority of the season, and that's really a, a tough situation for Michael Gallup because he is a uh, 
a teammate favorite. Everybody loves him. He's universally respected around the team. But as far as the way the team works out, they lose a, um, you know, they lose out on a big play threat. Somebody that obviously when he got injured was making a touchdown grab. So he's, he's definitely somebody you lose on the outside there. And um, it's tough to kind to kind of uh, to make up that type of production and that threat that he is. But um, the Cowboys have had a lot of practice with it. It's probably, you know, it's going to be Cedric Wilson that has to step up and, and Malik Turner has showed some, uh, some, some burst and some, you know, some big playability when his uh, limited chances have been there. So it, it, you, You'd hate to see Michael Gallup go out like that, but I think the Cowboys are built for it, at least offensively, to uh, to weather that type of storm. Looking at this postseason, Tony, this is uh, this is a very intriguing postseason, and the Cowboys. It, it it has been such a long time since the Cowboys have reached the the summit. Uh, I know we've sort of touched around this already, but for you as 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 a as a lifetime fan and somebody that covers the team what makes this year different because i look at Dallas this year and i see more confidence in the team obviously there is more talent there as well but i think for fans as well i think a, a lot of fans would like to get to green bay and maybe uh, go up against Aaron Rodgers and, and just replay all of that again you know i think i think you kind of hit the nail on the head there is they're playing with a lot more confidence like you said and um whether that be Dan Quinn or just having some more superior talent i think um you know, as as much as Micah Parsons was like a solid pick and everybody, you know, had, you know, they felt pretty good about it. I think everybody knew the Cowboys were looking to get a cornerback in the first round. Um, being, Micah Parsons being and playing at a level that nobody expected has boosted this team. Now you look at other guys like Jaron Curse, who is going to come in and supposed to be, um, you know, some type of depth for the, at the safety position. And he's, and he's played way better than his expectation was as well. And uh, I think it's just, just having Dan Quinn in there, um, having a real off season that wasn't, you know, inducive to, or, you know, COVID didn't ruin it this year. Um, I think that the whole, I think that's the number one thing, right? I think everybody knows this Cowboys offense has the opportunity and the chance to, to really do something good. And, and we're one of the top units in the league, but the defense playing so well has been the entire difference from this year to any year I've seen and covered the Cowboys. Tony, I suppose this, uh, because of the success that Dallas have enjoyed on both sides of the ball that, um, you know, you and Mark were talking about, it's led to a lot of speculation around the coordinators. And even today, we've seen Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn, both trying to say, you know, oh, just focused on the, the next game and what will happen will happen. But I suppose, you know, as somebody who covers the, the team, do you think, uh, you know, a lot of the talk has been Quinn may get a, a head coaching gig potentially in Denver if they move on from Fangio because of the links with George Payton. But the talk seems to be that Jerry might want to keep Kellen Moore around. Do you think Kellen Moore might stay or if that opportunity to be a head coach presents itself, will he take it? You know, I think it's you look at the NFL head coaching job, right? It's one of those positions where there's only 32 in the world. So if, if you're Kellen Moore, if you're Dan Quinn, these guys are going to take that opportunity. I know um, some of them, like you mentioned, um, they haven't really, they've been focusing on the season because this season does have a chance to, um, to reach the goals they set at the, you know, at the onset of it. But um, even if it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, like how do you not at least listen to these conversations? And, you know, I think, you know, anybody or Ben that's been covering the team 
or a fan of the team, they thought a realistic possibility is that at least one of them is going to take a job. And there was a real possibility that you might lose both of them. So, um, you know, you see to see how things play out. I think it's a huge vote of confidence to, for what Dallas is building in that, in that room that both of them kind of want to like, you know, not really take the first jump, first opportunity that comes with them with Jacksonville. And I think eventually they'll both, um, you know, get to speak and talk and get their piece in on that. But it just tells you um, maybe more about Jacksonville a little bit, but at the same time, um, the Cowboys and the coordinators are comfortable where they are. Tony, interested to hear your thoughts on the running back situation. There's a lot, certainly on the outside looking in, it seems that Pollard is starting to emerge as potentially the better running back over Zeke. I know Zeke has had a lot of injury concerns over the past couple of years and it seems to have carried over into this season do you think in the long run that's that's the case or do you think Zeke is still well capable of being the number one back I think in totality it's you know Tony Pollard taking nothing away from him he he, you know he's an explosive player he's somebody that you definitely have to manufacture touches for somebody that you have to get the ball more frequently than they have been as of late quite frankly but Ezekiel Elliott what he brings to this team as a whole is something that's hard to duplicate, right? I mean, he is a, an outstanding pass blocker. He's, you know, a quarterback's best friend in that right. At the same time, he is a punisher. And when you have a one-two punch like that, you look at the way Ezekiel Elliott is able to um, wear on a defense. I think it gives opportunities for Tony Pollard because he hits the hole so quickly and it's such a change of running styles that you wonder just exactly um, – you know, the, the, the yin and the yang almost the, between the two of them. But I think uh, ultimately I, I still lean towards Ezekiel Elliott being the better running back, the more complete back. But I, Tony Pollock could start on a, on a multitude of different teams in this league and they're taking nothing away from him in the year he's had. Uh, Tony, the boys are going back to the playoffs. Um, many of the biggest plays in history in the playoffs in the NFL can just be described by a word or a phrase. Like I think, you know, if you're a 49ers fan, there's the catch, there's the catch two, for example. But for the last 25 years, 20, well, the 27 years, let's be honest, Dallas Cowboys postseason history can be described by a couple of words that don't indicate great performance. There's the botched hold in 07. There's the non-catch in 2014. Now, there's a lot of Cowboys fans over in Europe, a lot of Cowboys fans in Ireland. Shout out to many of the great fan sites that follow the show. But what hope can you give them and say, look, Mike McCarthy was on the other sideline back in 2014. He's now on your sideline. What is going to be different? What's the, the aspect where you think, no, have hope, my dear. Hold on. It's going to be different. We're going we're gonna to get to the promised land this year because it could go through Lambeau again. We could be revisiting the same site at the same time this postseason I think it starts you know at the top I think Mike McCarthy is a Super Bowl winning quarter uh excuse me Super Bowl winning head coach I think Dak Prescott is um he's obviously older he's more mature he sees the game a little slower and a little uh you know a little more efficiently did when the first time we went into Green Bay um I you know Dan Quinn has been to a Super Bowl himself so I just think starting at the organization at the top um, you know, you look at the way I think a lot of it is about swagger and the way they carry themselves. And, you know, it's not necessarily the best team that always wins the Super Bowl. It's the team that gets the hottest at the best time. So, um, you know, this I think you guys would all agree this year more than any year before that I can remember is such a you know, anybody could get it. I know Green Bay looks like the number one team right now, but would we be surprised if any, you know, 
any team is playing in that Super Bowl Sunday. So it's it's one of those things where stay healthy, try to stay, you know, um, playing disciplined, smart football. And I think everybody has a puncher's chance at it. Just finally, Tony, uh, I'm not look, I'm not going to ask you if you're picked for the playoffs, but let's get your pick ahead of this game. I know it's not the biggest game of the season this weekend, but it's still, it's still an opportunity to see some guys out in the field all be backups towards the end of the game. What's your thoughts on this game? Because obviously the Eagles are in the playoffs already, so it's not as if they have to win or something to get in. So what's your thoughts on who's going to win this game on Saturday? You know, I, I don't want to sound like a homer, but I think the Cowboys are going to win. And I think it's for a couple of reasons in the sense that, the Cowboys are probably going to go out there and um, they might give some starters a little bit of run just to get some continuity, let them play a little bit, try to, because we're coming off an Arizona game that wasn't the cleanest, right? So now the Cowboys might have an opportunity or present an opportunity to, um, to try to correct that a little bit before they go and play a wild card matchup. And, you know, bluntly, I think the Cowboys are a little deeper than the Eagles. I think that, you know, if it's going to be a matchup of the backups, I do think that Dallas is a little deeper across the board. And, you know, I think I'm fired up to possibly see a Cooper Rush versus Gardner Minshew matchup in week 18. But, hey, we'll see what happens. But I do feel confident the Cowboys might pull out a W and get their 12th win of the year. Yeah, as I said, it, it could well be a case of uh, the backups. But there will be plenty of, of intrigue when it comes to the playoffs and also uh, in terms of that postseason. Tony, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us. You can find Tony over at Blogging the Boys and also on Twitter at Tony underscore Catalina. Hopefully we'll have you back on again in the not too distant future, Tony. Okay, folks, our next guest on the Irish NFL show is none other than Denver 7, Broncos insider Troy Rank. Looking ahead to the game on Saturday evening, our time, I think it's 9.30 or so uh, European time, Broncos going up against the Chiefs in Malhai. Delighted to welcome Troy back to the show. Troy, a warm welcome. Thank you, guys. It's always great to be on with you. You know I love your passion and interest in this team, even as the team fails to reward your faith on an annual basis. Troy, I was uh, doing some research this afternoon in looking at coaches who have um, gotten a fourth season after opening with three losing seasons. And it doesn't make for pretty reading. Um, there aren't that many there, but on the list, uh, Gus Bradley, who went two and 12 in his fourth season, Dom Capers, who went two and 14. Um, the, 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 the outliers, I suppose, uh, there's there's three guys there, but they were all interim in their first year as HC. Vic has now been confirmed as three losing seasons in a row. Are the Broncos going to bring him back for a fourth? I don't expect them to. Now, listen, inside the building, they do like Vic Fangio. George Payton, the general manager, does like Vic Fangio. He respects him. They, they respect his work ethic. He's a grinder. I mean, he in his office, he has a sign that says, don't worry, work. And that's what he does. He loves to work. He loves that part of it. But the problem is what you just mentioned. The number of first-time head coaches that start their career with three consecutive losing seasons and survive is a small list. And the number that are successful given a fourth season, it really is non-existent. And the issue they face with Vic Fangio is one of the arguments is his defense is pretty good. But he's not being evaluated as the defensive coordinator. He's being evaluated as the chief, the chief strategist, the head coach. He's the one who hired Pat Shermer. 
It was his fingerprints all over that hire, and he stayed loyal to him. He's the one that stayed loyal to Tom McMahon. He's the one that chose Teddy Bridgewater. Those all fall on the doorstep of the coach. And so if he's not held accountable to those decisions and he's somehow separated into some silo as a defensive coordinator, I don't know how you go back into that locker room and tell players when they get cut or get demoted that you're accountable for everything you do, but our head coach is only accountable for this one specific area. It just makes it very messy. So they do like him. They thought they were going to have a winning season in absence of a winning season and a playoff berth. I think it's difficult for him to survive. Uh, and I think we'll know right away, you know, it'd either be Sunday or Monday, Sunday night or Monday morning that they would look to make a move, but it would surprise me if he, now it's not hundred percent, but it would surprise me based on the, these last three seasons, if he were able to get a fourth season. Troy, as a, as a Giants fan, we've seen three head coaches pass away over the last 12 months. Ray Perkins, Jim Fossil, and then obviously last weekend, Dan Reeves. And Broncos fans would have great affiliation for Dan Reeves, having taken them to three Super Bowls, only one of 10 head coaches to manage 200 winning games. Um, is there anything special or anything in particular um, in place for this weekend to kind of, I suppose, remember his great service to the Broncos? I'm sure there will be a moment of silence. There was last weekend at the Rams game for both uh, John Madden and Dan Reeves. <clears throat> there will be a moment of silence, I'm sure. I haven't heard of all the plans. This week got messy because it got moved up by a day and Fangio's, the uncertainty of his position. And then we're all on Zoom now, so we're not at the facility for any reason because of uh, the COVID outbreak they've dealt with. But Dan Reeves holds a special place in Broncos history. Other than Mike Shanahan, he is their most successful coach. With all due respect to Red Miller, who put the Broncos on the map with their first Super Bowl berth, Dan Reeves, for a lot of us, people my age in their 40s and 50s, you grew up with Broncos football, and the two things you knew most about the Broncos were John Elway and Dan Reeves. And they were iconic figures in that way. And it was good to see that because their relationship got a little rocky at the end there when John Elway played for Reeves. He felt like Reeves was holding him back offensively. You know, it turns out in some ways he certainly was with, when Mike Shanahan came in. But Reeves and Elway won a lot of games together. And they are will always be linked together. And then it came full circle when the Broncos beat Reeves' Falcons in the Super Bowl 33. I was fortunate enough to cover all of those Super Bowls, 31, what was it, 32, 33, and, and – Dan Reeves deserves to be, he's a ring of famer, went in in 2014. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if you look at some of the coaches that are in, he should be in absence of the Super Bowl. That's what runs against him. But look what he did with three teams, Broncos, Giants, Falcons. I mean, he made an imprint on both, on all those teams. And frankly, he had one year where he led the league in rushing with, or, you know, he had 16 touchdowns. He led the league as the Cowboys. He had 16 touchdowns. So, I, I don't know exactly everything that's going to go on, but I would expect there will be a moment of silence because he is held in high regard in the Broncos organization as their second best coach ever. True, a touchdown in the ice ball. Not many people remember yes, that. Yes, he had a touchdown in the ice ball. John Reeves, people don't realize because he looked so much older when he coached here. Go back and look when he first started here. He was a hulking guy, like this brutish figure. He was a running back who fit that mold. Like he was your 70s kind of player guy, big, strong, you know, just do anything. play. And then when he got here, he aged in a way that was almost presidential. So you see him as this coaching figure, but you go back and look at his first coaching jobs with Tom Landry. And as a player, this guy was a great athlete. He's a great baseball player and a great football player. 
Troy, I'm going to ask you, because obviously Denver had that amazing period you just alluded to. They had the joy of the, the lion in winter during the Peyton Manning years. But now, let's face it, it's dark, dark days the last while. Haven't had a little, you know, they haven't had a winning season in so long. I think Michael was still going through puberty the last time they had a, a winning season, to be honest. Um, I'm going to give you the scalpel. You're the surgeon. What gets cut? What gets fixed to turn this back into a winning franchise? Well, listen, there's going to, for me, there's going to be a coaching change, but in absence of that, they've got to get the quarterback position figured out. And we say that every year, but in the NFL right now, uh, Mark, you can't win in multiple ways anymore. Used to be you could win by just running the football or just playing great defense. You can't win right now if you don't have a good quarterback. Maybe it's not great, but you look at the standings right now, which team is winning with below average or average quarterback play? That team, it doesn't really exist because every rule is bent toward offense. Bent, you can't hit the quarterback high. You can't hit them low. You can't hit them in the face. You can't hit them late. You can't touch the receivers. I mean, it's built to score points. And the Broncos are trying to win games 17-13, 20-17. It, it's counterintuitive to the way the league is built right now. The 2015 Broncos, wouldn't win the Super Bowl based on the new rules. And that's based on my conversations with those players, those defensive players. They say the same thing. We couldn't do what we did. You know, when I talked to Tlaib or TJ Ward and those guys, they know that. So what would I do? You've got to address the quarterback position in a meaningful way. So is that Aaron Rodgers, which they really thought they were going to have a chance at him last offseason? Again, I'm not sure why he would leave Green Bay if he's the two-time MVP. Maybe it's just put a bow on it, win a you know two-time MVP, win a Super Bowl, and that's the best time to move on, almost like LeBron and Cleveland, where you win it and then move on. Maybe. I mean, he's unpredictable. So he'd be first priority if he's available. Russell Wilson, if the Seahawks make him available. Now, remember, he has a no trade, so it's not going to be easy. And everything I hear is New York would make a huge play for him, and he and his wife might feel like that's the place for them with her entertainment career and him feeling maybe he's been underappreciated in his career. You won't be underappreciated in New York if you go there and turn that around. I think the Saints would honestly be the best fit for him. But And then maybe Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins. Cousins does, doesn't do much for me, frankly, but Matt Ryan, you could argue to me, is an upgrade. Anyway, that's number one. Secondly is you have to have a dynamic offensive scheme. So even if, if you don't get one of those three, then – then I would say then you have to try to draft one in the first round. And this is not a great draft for that. But then you draft one and you develop them and you create a dynamic offensive scheme. Like you see with Kyler Murray, his skill set in Arizona with pair the coach with the quarterback. They've got to connect the dots offensively. You've got to make the coach, quarterback and scheme all fit. Stop trying to make the quarterback fit this scheme or the coordinator fit to the court. It's just, it hasn't worked. You guys know it. I mean, they haven't averaged 21 points a game since Peyton Manning retired. There's everyone knows that watches the Broncos, why they're not very good. Their offense stinks. They don't score enough points. They have no margin for error. And so the defense plays good and they use the ground game as part of the defense to control time of possession. But if the defense has one bad series, then they lose. Tyler Boyd, touchdown, Cincinnati, game over. You know, Josh Jacobs against uh, the Raiders, the third quarter, 57 yards, one drive, game over. Like, so your defense can't have one bad series, but that's where they are offensively. So what would I do? 
I would look for quarterback number one and look if let's say you hire Dan Quinn, whoever his coordinator is has to be dynamic. If you hire Nathaniel Hackett, obviously you're hiring him for his offensive mind. If it's Doug Peterson, you're hiring him for his offensive mind. It has to be every decision they make has to be with the idea. How is this person going to fix our offense, either through their play calling as the head coach or it's a defensive guy and he's hiring the next Sean McVay or whomever because they can't win the way they're constructed to try to win 17, 14, 2017. So that would be, that would be, and they've got to fix the offensive line. It's been over. It's been glossed over this year. Bulls regressed. Cushenberry. I would probably replace Cushenberry. I would look to, they're going to probably have to replace center right tackle. I would say two to three offensive line positions for me need to be fixed moving forward. Defensively, they've got the pieces. I'm not worried about them defensively, whether Fangio's here or not, they've got enough talent defensively. It all starts on offense with a scheme that uses their receivers and uses the talent they have. It just feels like they have all these ingredients and they always just make chicken broth, the same thing over and over blame plan it's bland and it doesn't make any sense so what would i do every decision would involve quarterback scheme how do we make this team more dynamic offensively yeah it's been a it's been an interesting few years Troy, to say the least um in terms of we're, we're talking about numerous things there what sort of positives do you take from this season like do, do you see anything in that team in the minute i know you're talking about the defense there but has any player maybe stood out to you that you maybe you, you were sitting at dove valley last july and august and didn't think it was going to work out or what's your main takeaway from this season positively well i mean they've had some good players justin simmons has had a great year i mean he's mm-hmm. an all pro player for me and i think he will get all pro recognition he should be a pro bowler but he's their mvp he's had a really good year there i mean so and i'll go offensively for me Javante Williams was a surprise. I knew he was good and I watched him in college, but I mean, I'd say he's this Batman runner, boom, pow, bang. He's just like, he's just running through these crazy. I, I've never seen a young guy with that kind of, he runs with evil intentions and ferocity. So I love what I've seen from Javante Williams offensively. Um, those two would be, uh, and Pat Sertan is for me, their top rookie, obviously. I would have taken the quarterback at nine. I'm not going to lie. I said that I would have taken Justin Fields who had fallen in their lap, but I have no belief they would have developed him. Not with Shermer coaching it and the way they run their scheme, but it would have been a perfect year for him to be mentored by Teddy Bridgewater, the perfect mentor. That aside, Sertan's lived up to the billing. He's lived up to the billing. The problem is a great cornerback. It's not worth more than a good quarterback. It, it just doesn't match the quarterbacks, the great multiplier. So if you're good at quarterback, you, I watched Champ Bailey be great Hall of Fame career. Did they ever get to a Super Bowl with Champ Bailey? I'll wait. I'll hang up and listen. No, they didn't because quarterback's the most valuable position. So, uh, but who, I will tell you, the rookie class is impressive, uh, Michael. When I look at, obviously, the first two, Sertan and, and Javante Williams, but Quinn Miners is going to be a starter next year. He's got to get better at pass blocking, but he is a brute in the run game. You look at what uh, Baron Browning did at linebacker, human Red Bull energy, and he is a freak athlete. His upside is huge where they're, they're set at inside linebacker, whether it's Jonas Griffith, Browning, uh, Kenny Young, maybe you bring back Jewel or Johnson, not both. They got a lot of options finally at inside linebacker. But I like Jonathan Cooper. Caden Stearns will probably be their starting safety next year. I don't expect that uh, Kareem Jackson would be back, unfortunately. 
I love Kareem Jackson. But those are the players I think that had good years. The disappointing part was just offensively. Jerry Judy doesn't have a touchdown. Does not have a touchdown. Tim Patrick's the only receiver with a touchdown, I believe, in the last nine weeks. Cortland Sutton's averaging two catches a game over the last nine weeks. Noah Fan had a good game, but yards after catch remain an issue. It just the overall disappointment when you look at the weapons offensively. And some of these guys aren't as good as we think we are. They are. I get. But if you would have, I would have bet my mortgage that Jerry Judy would have a touchdown. He has zero touchdowns and he's got like four red zone targets on the year. What are we talking about? Like, so, but Simmons definitely excelled. I'm impressed by Justin every year he plays, he gets better and better. And Javante Williams to Pat Sertan, that rookie class, there's some good things going on there. Troy, we always enjoy having you on the show. And just before we let you go, it's the, the Chiefs uh, coming in to, to Mile High. Uh, Broncos, obviously, such a disappointing record against the Chiefs ever since um, Peyton left town. What do you make of this Week 18 uh, fixture? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not getting easier because now Darby's not playing, Sertan's not playing. Who knows if they're going to have a kicker or punter. Uh, they think that Sam Martin and uh, Brandon McManus will be back. You know, it gives Drew Locke another opportunity. The best chance to beat them, frankly, is if the Chiefs had clinched home field and they set their guys. And <laughs> that was their best chance because the Chiefs have something to play for. The Chiefs are better than them. And I will say this, Fangio usually devises a scheme that keeps it close. With He gives Mahomes problems with his zone coverage and the way he uses quarters. I just, man, guys, the game's on Denver 7. So I want it to be a good game. I want it to be a close game, but... I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of no-shows and it's going to be a just sour end of the season uh, because of the fact the Chiefs are better than them and Chiefs have something to play for. I would say this, Colin, watch the beginning of the game because in my experience of covering games like this, if the team that has nothing to play for is down 17-3, 14-3, it is going to get ugly because guys start making business decisions and that's the reality of it. So if they can keep it close in the first half, it could be interesting. But if they get down, well, you guys know, I think they're 1-23 one, they're one when trailing at halftime under Fangio. But I'm just saying if they're down early, it could get ugly because they have nothing to play for. They have nothing to play for. So I'm rooting for a good close game. I do not expect them to win. Well, there's, there's two positives. Season's over a day earlier. And secondly, it's all not <laughs> a decent time for us. So it, it's all good. But they, Troy... I want to thank you for coming on this season. And I know, I know we'll bring you on hopefully in the off season around the draft and stuff and want to wish you well over the next few weeks and months. And thanks so much for coming on at Troy rank. I should encourage any NFL fan in Europe to follow Troy for his uh, great content at all games and every video he does. Thank you, Troy. You guys are the best. Uh, keep doing your thing. Hopefully the Broncos will cooperate and be more successful. Starting next season. <laughs> Cheers, Troy. Thanks, Troy. Okay, folks, looking ahead to this Chiefs-Broncos game uh, on Saturday evening, 9.30 uh, in Mile High. Chiefs obviously playing to try and put pressure on the Titans for that number one seed in the AFC. We're delighted to be joined by a guy from ChiefsDigest.com, Matt Derrick, at, Mer- at Matt Derrick on Twitter. Matt, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on talking some Chiefs football at the, the, the business end of the season. Welcome in. It's a pleasure to be with all of you. I know how you guys are hardcore fans because being, being fans from your part of the world, 
and when the games are on and everything, that's hard. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. And look, it's it's one of those things as well, Matt, we've had the, the, the pleasure to have on uh, the Irish Chiefs group, Arrowheads Abroad, British Chiefs as well. So there, there are a lot of Chiefs fans and obviously a lot, a lot of NFL fans over here. Have you ever had the chance to come over to Ireland or even over to, to, to London for the game? I, I have not, unfortunately. Um, I know I have little doubt that the Chiefs will be heading to Europe in the near future. Um, would love to be able to get over there when they do. Matt, it's been um, an interesting year for the Chiefs in terms of the way in which, I suppose, particularly the, the defense started out, the, then bounced back. And then obviously that game against the, the Bengals um, last uh, weekend what are your thoughts on the, the Chiefs overall in 2021 thus far? Yeah, I, I, if you had told me that this is where the Chiefs would be at this point in the season, I, I, I would have accepted it. I mean, I think that this is exactly where the Chiefs hoped that they would be. Um, how they got there, I don't think anybody would have seen this path. Um, the struggles early on, um, even going back to training camp, I mean, um, seeing this team every day back in July and August, I, I never would have thought that they would have had the struggles with the defense that they had early on. Um, and, and then even then with the adjustments that they've had offensively during the season, I mean, that was you know something that you just didn't expect to see from Patrick Mahomes in this offense to have periods where they struggled. Um, but really over, the, I think the last six games, even if you take that Bengals game into account, I think you're seeing a team peaking at the right time, doing all the right things. Um, the Bengals loss to me, I, I don't think that it really reflects any systemic problems with the team. I mean, I, I think it was a, a bad game plan that they had going into it and the Bengals executed what they needed to do perfectly. Um, it's going to depend on how the Chiefs bounce back from that. I think you're hearing the right attitude from them. Um, but I, I feel like this team is still ready to play its best football going into the January and potentially February. Matt, I suppose if they don't get the number one seed this weekend, which in all likelihood is probably not going to happen, bearing in mind who the Titans play, it'll be something very different because the last couple of years, the Chiefs have been in number one seed. They've had the home field advantage. And obviously even that game, which they lost a couple of years ago, where they lost a difficult overtime game to the Pages, they were at home. The most difficult defeat of the season, I would argue, for the Chiefs was, in fact, the game against the Titans where they only scored three points. I mean, there's a lot of wrongs to right was they've come back with a, in great form if they come around again you would expect them to put up a much better performance and I don't think they'd be overly concerned about having to go on the road to, to beat the Titans to get to the Super Bowl I, I'm with you I mean I, I don't think that there's any concern that the Chiefs have to go on the road to Tennessee that that's a, a game-breaking deal I mean it will be tough having to play that extra week you would love to have a week off to be able to rest up and get ready for uh, you know, the what would potentially be three more games. Now you've got four more games. That's a tougher road. Um, but even though you look at, I mean, the Chiefs have losses to virtually every team that's going to make the playoffs in the AFC. I mean, they've lost to the Chargers. They've lost to the Bills. They've lost to the Titans. Um, they've lost to the Bengals now. I mean, that's that's not normal for this team. But at the same time, if they have to face each of those clubs again in the postseason, even against the Bengals, I still think I like the Chiefs' chances, especially since most of those games would be at home, and I think that would be a great advantage at Arrowhead. Uh, if they get the two seed, the only game that they would have to potentially play would be an AFC Championship game at Tennessee, and and I think that second time around, that game would be completely different from what we saw back in October. 
Well, well, Matt, let's let's face it. If they played the Bengals again, I think they might just double cover Jamar Chase once or twice in the, the return matchup. Um, we were very fortunate earlier in the season, Matt. We talked with Brendan Daly, and he's got some long-held roots and connections in Ireland, and he shared a few thoughts with us, and he shared some great stories about the arrangement whereby his defensive line aren't expected to chase Patrick Mahomes around the practice field. It's almost like, go easy on them, don't make them pull hamstrings. But one of the most lauded moves in terms of that uh, revolution on the defense, I mean, let's face it, they started three and four, and they look bad on defense to one of the tighter defenses in the second half of the year has been the move of Chris Jones inside. Now, we appreciate from an X's and O's perspective, there's a lot more to it than that. But other than just that inside move by Jones, what else have you seen that's really been the fuel behind that revolutionary change on the defensive scheme? Yeah, I think there was a couple of things that happened at once, and and clearly the addition of Melvin Ingram coming over from Pittsburgh um, was a big difference because not only did that just really beef up your pass rush on the outside, but you're right. I mean, it gave them the flexibility to move Chris Jones back to the inside. Um, I, I was in the camp that, hey, based on where their their roster was situated before Melvin Ingram came in, their best defensive line probably did have Chris Jones on the outside. That's not necessarily his most effective position, though, but it was probably the best place for him for that lineup. Uh, once Ingram comes in, that changes the equation. And you're right. I mean, that has been a, a completely different defensive line since then. Melvin Ingram's been, I think, incredibly productive, um, even just looking outside of sack numbers, which it's not like he's come in and lit the world on fire. But at the same time, I, I think everyone across that line ha has gotten better. And having a healthy Frank Clark was a big part of that, too. Um, Chris Jones, remember, is still not 100%. That that wrist that he injured in the very beginning of the season is still bothering him. He will probably have surgery for that in the offseason. Um, but I think he certainly has played better, you know, obviously being back inside. Uh, the other thing that happened about that time, too, was the, the change in the backfield with Juan Thornhill coming in and playing at safety uh, more for Dan Sorensen. And, and I think that was another change that, that really benefited this club, um, whether it was just a case of getting Thornhill his confidence back I think he has certainly played better the second half of the season. Um, having Dan Sorensen in that third safety role where he's, he's you know, playing more of a niche position, um, I think has been a big difference in, you know, just getting him into the right role. You know, Dan Sorensen's a player that I think if you, you expose him too much, his flaws will show up. Um, but in a backup role, I think he's one of the better in the league at just that being that number three safety for a team. So, uh, you know, the addition of Ingram, you know, inserting Thornhill back into the lineup, I, I think those were two big keys for this defense. Looking at injuries, Kyle edwards Solaire at the minute is out with, I think, a shoulder injury. He's going to miss his second game. Are you concerned with any of these injuries going into the postseason? Obviously, this week, you can, you know, obviously, they're in the playoffs, at least second seed. Could he be back in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. It looks like Clyde could certainly be back next week um, if they do need him for a playoff game. Um, a little bit more precautionary at this point. Uh, otherwise, the Chiefs injury-wise are in very good shape. I mean, Orlando Brown with the calf injury that kept him out of the game last week doesn't appear to be serious. You know, Andy Reid told us today that he's ready to play and they could, they'll have him on Saturday. Um, that being the case, that gives you a great indication of where he is for the postseason. Um, and even in the backfield, I mean, without Clyde, I think that you've got to be pretty pleased with what Daryl Williams and Derek Gore have been doing in backup roles. Those two guys have been very effective. Um, they don't have the same ability to make guys miss that, that Clyde has, but at the same time, I think those, those two guys can also make runs that maybe Clyde can't make. 
And you certainly looking at the year that Daryl Williams has had, you know, he needs 37 more yards to get 1000 from the, the line of scrimmage this year. That would be a very big deal for him. And, and when we got to talk to him the other day, he was pretty emotional about the idea about what that would mean to him and his family to be able to get that 1000 yard season. Matt, we saw uh, Andy Reid reach uh, 100 wins with the, the Chiefs, obviously, earlier in the year. He did the same with the Eagles. Um, you know, he he's an incredible um, coach. But um, we also saw a little bit of uh, frustration from Andy, I suppose, after the, the Bengals game, almost uncharacteristic. You know, um, Jose Mourinho is famous on, on this part of the world for saying, if I speak, I get in trouble. And we heard that from, from Andy. Just, I suppose, um, as somebody who, you know, covers the team and is, is on the ground, just in terms of talking to, um, to us a, a little bit about Andy and, um, you, you know, what you feel his impact on this team is. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt Andy Reid has a tremendous impact on this team uh, for the most biggest reason is that everyone loves him. I mean, that organization is built around Andy Reid and his personality um, and, and the players will just do absolutely anything for him. I mean, that's, I think that's a big part of just his his coaching standard is just the, how much the, the guys buy into him and, and also how much he protects them. I mean. And this case, I think, is a great example. Um, you know, this is a tough loss against the Bengals. Um, you're right. I mean, that was one of the more frustrated times that I've seen Andy Reid um, in Kansas City. Clearly frustrated with the officiating. And yes, doesn't want to get fined and penalized. So uh, wisely kept his mouth closed there. Uh, but then the other part of it was just how quickly he told this team to turn the page. I mean, by Tuesday, which... You know, we're normally wanting to still talk about the game on Sunday. And he's like, no, we're not. We're, we're done. We're going on to the Bengals. Or we're going on to Denver now. Um, I, I think setting that tone is exactly what the players needed. I mean, they want And, and honestly, um, getting this game moved from Sunday to Saturday might be a bit of a blessing for this team that they were able to just, you know, turn the page one day faster. Um, Anthony Hitchens told us, you know, he definitely wants to get the taste of that loss out of his mouth. And, um, it, you know, that's where th weeks like this are where I think Andy Reid's coaching style and approach to his players really shines through because, that's the kind of loss that for some teams and some coaches, it could stick with you for a while. And, and I think Andy does a really good job of, of getting his players to focus and move on and put that behind them. Matt, it's probably a few weeks back now, but there was an article at the time around McCall Harmon and his production levels. I, I suppose you could throw Pringle in there. They're certainly not reaching the levels of Tyreek Hill. I don't think they ever will because he's such a dynamic player, but do you, you're closer to the situation. Is there any concerns around how, how they're coming on in terms of their career. They're not at the level that the Chiefs would have expected at this stage. Yeah, I don't think there's been, there's any doubt that, you know, McCole Hardman is probably disappointed in the sense that he has a tremendous amount of physical skills, but, you know, just hasn't had that breakthrough season yet. I mean, at, at the same time, I mean, he's, he's putting up very good numbers when you consider that, you know, you have how many balls you have going around the Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and, and there's only so many footballs to go around. Uh, but then again, you look at an offense like Cincinnati that could very well have three 1,000-yard receivers this year. It can be done. I mean, it, it just requires that, you know, everybody steps up. And that's, I think, been the, you know, the one problem with 
all the other receivers outside of, of Hill and Kelsey has been just consistency. And, and McCole Hardman, has, I think, has been a peak amongst that. I mean, at his best, he can be a really good receiver. It's just that you haven't seen, you know, week in and week out, play in and play out that that same consistency that you see from from a Tyreek Hill. And that's to me, the only thing that's really been holding back Hardman. And if, and if he finds that consistency, I, I think he can be one of the if not a number one receiver, definitely a solid number two receiver for this team. Uh, Matt, I'm, I'm almost tempted to ask about the game, but it's not really that exciting. It's almost like Game of Thrones. The penultimate episode of the season was always the better episode. The last episode was a bit, meh, it's just setting up the next year and the next chapter, obviously, for the postseason for the Chiefs. So instead, I kind of, you know, we, we support various different teams. Two of the gentlemen on this pod happen to be Broncos fans, for example. But I'm thinking from a Chiefs perspective, you know, when Alexander, when it comes to the AFC West, when Alexander the Great was 33, he cried tears of salt because there was no more worlds left to conquer. Doesn't it feel a bit like that in the AFC West? Like, isn't it getting a bit boring and too easy when you've got these weaker teams in the division you keep beating on all the time? I mean, do the Chiefs not want... I mean, Justin Herbert and the Chargers made it interesting this year, but do you not want a bit more of a challenge from some of these poorer franchises, shall we say? It's a good, it's an interesting question because I mean, I, I look at the success that the, the Patriots had for 20 years and they never had a challenger, you know, in, in the AFC East for the most part. I mean, the, the Jets may have had one or two good years, but they were never a serious threat. Um, Dolphins popped up, but rarely. I mean, I, I think when I last time I looked at the numbers, I think there was only maybe one season where a team challenged the Patriots with 10 or more wins in that division. It just didn't happen very often. Um, honestly, I think that, you know, in the AFC West, I think that the Chiefs are you know, poised to have more competition there than the Patriots have ever had. And and certainly when you have back to back Super Bowl runs, I think there's absolutely, you know, opportunity for letdown. And that could certainly have been an influence of this team early on. I know uh, talking to a lot of the players during the offseason. There was a, a, a big concern about just fatigue um, because of how long the last couple of seasons has been. But also, you know, 2020 with the pandemic took a lot out of everyone physically and emotionally. And a lot of players, you know, took the opportunity to really kind of dial it back during the offseason. Um, Tyreek Hill's a great example. I mean, normally he would be, you know, very hard at work throughout an entire offseason. And this year, you know, he, he purposely took some time off. And Andy Reid even told the guys to kind of back off a little bit um, because they just needed to refresh and, and certainly that may have happened to them early on but I think it's a, you pose an interesting question going for the future because I, I think the AFC West is actually in a position where these could be better teams than you know ever challenged the Patriots you know for a decade and hey it's it's cliche but as the Bible says iron sharpens iron and football players buy into that so I mean if the Chiefs get competition in the future going forward I think it'll only make them better going forward too. Yeah, I do say a little tongue in cheek because, and actually, on yeah, the Patriots, I know what you mean. It was, <laughs> it was it was Chad Pennington in 08 when Brady was out. Uh, Matt Castle Dolphins won the division with 11 and five. So you're absolutely right. It was a sustained piece. But you you do have Justin Herbert and the Chargers and the most beautiful deep ball in the NFL. I would say to contend with. Michael, well, what about the Broncos? Well, I was going to say about the Broncos, that, that, that iron sharpens iron thing worked okay in 2015. But in terms of the Broncos on Saturday night, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting, Matt, because as a fan, and I don't want to give away my pick, but our partners, uh, Mashburg Betting, she and the Chiefs, minus 10. 
Uh, and I have said on, on on a different show, Matt, that I think this will be a blowout. Um, and not just in the seats, but on the field as well. What's your prediction for Saturday night? Yeah, I, I, I wish it were necessarily a blowout because Drew, Drew Locke went to my college. So I've been a Drew Locke fan for a long time. Um, and I really wish it had worked out in Denver. I, I'm not sure that the Broncos ever treated him right from day one. I don't think they certainly didn't manage him as probably young quarterbacks need to be managed. I'd love to see him, you know, be able against his, his childhood team, come up with a big performance. But yeah, the Broncos just seem to have too many injuries, too many question marks. Um, the Chiefs want to put the Bengals lost behind them. So e- even though this doesn't, outside of, you know, trying to get the number one seed, it doesn't have a tremendous amount of meeting. I do think the Chiefs will roll. My, my prediction is 27 to 9. Yeah, the Broncos not getting into double digits sounds just about right for, for this season. But Matt, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Uh, for anyone watching, you can find Matt over on ChiefsDigest.com and you can find him on Twitter as well. Matt, we will look forward to welcoming you back to the show at some point in the future. Enjoy the game on Saturday night. I would love to. You guys have been great. I really appreciate the invitation. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. Great to chat to some people ahead of the games tonight. We have got a stacked week 18 schedule in the NFL. The Irish NFL show presented by Matchbook Betting Exchange. You can use code Irish NFL show to get 20 pounds, 20 euro. Of a welcome offer, all the T's and C's are on the screen right now. uh, And some great offers on the NFL this weekend. Check out matchbook.com. You can bet in both pounds and euros, or you can use the app as well. Obviously, folks, please please gamble responsibly 18 plus gamble aware stacked weekend in the nfl starts off on saturday night with the chiefs going to the broncos the cowboys going to the eagles chiefs having to win to try and get that number one spot but it all goes down to sunday packers at the lions Colts at jags washington at the giants bears vikings Bengals going to see the browns titans texans steelers ravens and in the late window a few interesting games Saints, falcons panthers bucks patriots dolphins jets bills 49ers Rams, Seahawks Cardinals, uh, and in the late game, Chargers at the Raiders win and in on Sunday Night Football, the last game of the season. Uh, want to welcome in Colin, want to welcome in Mark, want to welcome in Brian. Uh, just first off, Colin, that's AFC picture at the minute. The playoff picture is is interesting. Titans number one seed. It's, it's going to be a good weekend, and obviously this Chiefs game as well on Saturday night is going to be interesting. Well, yeah, the fact that they moved it to the Saturday night, they obviously want to the Chiefs to have something to, to play for. And uh, if uh, if the Titans obviously win at the Texans, then it was all over. So um, I um, I imagine it gives the, the Chiefs something to play for. We, uh, we talked about it with Matt that, you know, Andy Reid is probably pleased in some ways because it allows them to focus on this rather than the game against the, the Bengals. But if you are Vic Fangio, I can't imagine that you're too delighted that the Chiefs are going to be playing their starters. And obviously, look, uh, on, on Sunday, it's the, the Raiders versus the Chargers. So plenty in the AFC to look forward to. Steelers and the Ravens have an outside chance, but very unlikely. Brian, NFC, uh, our Broncos aren't in the AFC, your Giants aren't in the NFC. And it's really the Saints, Brian, that are the only team that have a chance of getting in on the outside. Yeah, I mean, the past few weeks we've been speaking highly of the 49ers, but that defeat a few weeks ago to the Titans has kind of come back to bite them now. They're in a bit of a tricky position this weekend because 
they probably felt, you know, they'd be going to the Rams, leading a win with the Rams having everything locked up with the way it's played out with the Cardinals. Winning in Dallas last week, the Rams have to win to win the division, you know, otherwise any slip up allows the Cards who have a game, a tough game, in fairness at home to the, to the Seahawks, it's always tough. But at the same time, you'd still expect the Cards to win. So the Rams are, I'm sorry, the 49ers in a tricky position because the Saints, and we discussed how good a coach Sean Payton is. I mean, for him to be in this position, position whether they get into the playoffs or not, with the team and with the quarterback situation that he's had this season, shows what a great coach he is and what a great job he, he's done. Don't give away the picks too much, but I just have a sneaking feeling that the Saints are going to find a way to get in. But they have a game, a tricky game as well, going to Atlanta. Falcons beat them in the Superdome. They always play each other tough, so it'll be interesting to see. But some really interesting games, and I'm glad those ones are on the late window in terms of the 9 o'clock slot. Mark, obviously six weeks away or five weeks away from Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles. Uh, really excited for that. But looking very quickly, very, very quickly indeed ahead to next week. As it stands, your Patriots are going to the Bills in the playoffs, but there's some tasty matchups, including, well, as it stands, the number one seeds, Titans, Green Bay get a week off. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the trilogy might continue in that regard. Look, there's many teams are looking at themselves through this season. Oh, if only we'd done this. You know, Ravens fans, oh, if only we hadn't gone for those two-point conversions and maybe taken one of those two games in overtime. Um, but Pats fans should, oh, and Pats team is kicking themselves because if they'd beaten Buffalo last week, it wouldn't be the wild card they're going for. They'd be in prime position on the number one seed in the AFC. But, you know, these are the ways things play out uh, in the NFL. Um, yeah, that will be a fascinating wildcard matchup. I think really the great thing is about the NFL and the great thing is actually about the expanded wildcards. I think we're due for some really tasty matchups regardless. I don't think the two, three seeds, uh, two, three, four seeds, the home team advantage seeds in both conferences are impregnable. I think all the wildcard teams will have a good crack at them. And that, that's going to make for an interesting analysis in that regard. And Michael, I wanted to say there's a, there is a really fascinating kind of context. You said Raiders charges win and you're in. If the Colts lose, it could be tie and both get by. So, you know, the Colts losing means they would lose to the Jags. So I do realize we're, we're in the world of the Twilight Zone in that regard. But can you imagine coming down to Sunday night and we have the, you know, the fascinating intrigue with Doug Peterson and kind of playing for draft position last year, which impacted the playoff race. Very seriously, the Raiders and Chargers could tie and both get into the playoffs. You know, rumors and conspiracy theorists will have a field day. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, everybody doesn't give the Jags, you know, any chance of winning this game against the Colts and... You know, rightly so, because of the season in which they've had and the, the chaos with the head coach. But I do recall a couple of years ago where, where nobody gave the Dolphins any chance of going into Foxborough and winning, and they turned things on, on its head. And the Chiefs ended up walking away with the number one seed that year, and I believe that was the year in which, in which they went on to win the Super Bowl. We've seen crazy things, very surprising things happen in week 17. Now we've got week 18. There's bound to be something untoward that happens this weekend that none of us see coming. Just with our picks, I can just uh, uh, and just on that, Brian, the Dolphins have messed up the Patriots in the final week of the season a couple of times. Brady's last season, they went from having a bye to having to play in the wild card, which they subsequently lost to the Titans. So, me and many, many Patriots fans were more than glad to seal up that wild card slot last week with the win against the Jags rather than have to win in Miami this week. Brady's final game in New England as well. Thank you for bringing up Brady, Mark. We'll talk more about Brady on Sunday in Dublin. We're hoping 
you know, obviously HSE, etc. related. We are in Dublin on Sunday. Uh, you'll have a show at 10 a.m. Sunday morning from Dublin, Ireland, going through every week 18 game. Really excited. And the one thing I will say before I very swiftly move on, I think there is a shot coming on Sunday in some manner. So let's see what happens with the Colts and the Jags. Uh, first game can on I, Saturday night. Can oh, I just say, I, I, I just look forward to the day that we're doing a show from Dublin, Ohio. I think that would that be magnificent. <laughs> I just want to do a show from Oma or Strabane or, okay, let, let me let me go a bit. Maybe like Coleraine. Is that too north? All right. Anyway, let's, I just let's want to do, do, a show from, do a show from my house with all you guys. Oh, no. Well, you have that. done that already. So, like, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's work that out. Anyway, look, uh, really looking forward to this weekend. I'm not going to lie. Everyone knows the teams we support here. I, I was delighted when this game was moved. Uh, 9.30, Broncos Chiefs. Chiefs at the minute, this is how it stands for them. As it stands, they play the Chargers in Kansas City next weekend. To get the AFC's number one CD and a first round buy and home field advantage, they need a win and a Tennessee loss or tie. Um, basically, it's it's very unlikely it could happen. Titans going to the Texans, but it could happen. And Column on the other side of the ball, the Broncos had a shocking end of the season. They won three and no, and they're now sitting with only seven wins uh, 15 weeks later. And there's already rumours coming out that Vic Dangio might not get fired. But in terms of this game, presented by Matchbook Betting Exchange, the favourites are the Chiefs by a country mile. They are minus 11 on the handicap. Who's your pick for this game, Colin, and why? Yeah, the, the stories coming out of Denver this week um, are um, concerning if you're, if you're a Broncos fan. Uh, Pat Sertain and Darby are both um, going to miss the, the game. And the issues that the Broncos have had on the offensive line that we have discussed, that we discussed with Troy, they're huge, huge concerns. Broncos haven't been able to run the ball in, in recent weeks. That is the, the way to, I think, to attack the, the Chiefs, unless you have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Um, and, you know, the Broncos would have led you to believe that they had these magnificent weapons at the start of the season, but uh, we have yet to, to see that. And Drew Locke is uh, going to be the, the starter. And, um, you know, he is, uh, as I said, tied with uh, Davis Mills, who has three 300 yard passing um, games in this rookie season. And Drew Locke has three in three years. I think that tells you all you need to know. Um, the Broncos haven't been able to buy a win against the Chiefs the last coming in September 2015. It is really difficult to see them getting the, the win. It will only be if the Chiefs take their eye off the ball. I think having lost to the Bengals last weekend, they won't want to go into the playoffs on the back of two defeats. So I am going to say that Andy Reid, and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey who now has his beard and his Samson-like strength back, are getting yet another victory over the Denver Broncos. But the Broncos' season can't end soon enough. Very, very, very quick, because Brian wants to make his point. Big fans, you've gone on Monday, yes or no? I fear he won't be. Brian, go for it. And Joe will be gone on Monday. Um, from what I've heard today and listen to other Sources. podcasts Sources. Which related to Denver and um, the game itself um, Michael in terms of a betting perspective um, as they call them the Sharps which are the guys with the heavy money um, this line started at minus nine and a half it quickly went to ten and now it's out to eleven and in some instances it's eleven and a half it's holding with matchbook at eleven at the moment I can see that kind of being pumped up over the week over the weekend as we get closer to that half nine kickoff time on Saturday Michael you made a good point on Monday's show you felt that the Chiefs 
could end up benefiting from that loss last weekend, not so much in terms of the number one seed, but more in the fact that the defence had played so well for a while and maybe it was worthy of a, of a bad day and they got exposed last weekend and they'll go back and they'll correct the wrongs of last weekend and only help to inspire their, their run towards the Super Bowl. And I think that's going to start this weekend, unfortunately, for the Broncos fans because whilst realistically we all know that it's highly unlikely they will get that one seed, they'll certainly want to put a marker down and reflect on a difficult loss last weekend and what could have been in terms of the number one seed. And for, Bron- for Broncos and Troy touched on it, it's, it might have been a better game for them if the situation had been reversed in terms of the Chiefs being secure of that number one seed. The Chiefs are coming out, they need to win. It could, we could get a scenario where Broncos players are making, as he said, business decisions not to be going in on 50-50 challenges in the second half, which would, which would be unfortunate for the viewer because these games over the years can be really enticing to watch whether you're Chiefs, Broncos are just a neutral. But for me, I do see a scenario where come late to a quarter, the game is wrapped up and Chiefs potentially will be bringing players in off the field and focusing ahead on that wildcard game. Chiefs for me. Yeah, but Brian, you say about business decisions and I think there's going to be a few Chiefs players who are going to want to make business decisions. You don't want to get injured in the last game of the yeah. season. Again, Patriots fans, where's Welk who getting injured in week 17 at Houston? At Reliance Stadium and their dodgy field kind of springs to mind in that regard. And so, like players like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you want to wrap in cotton wool, protect in bubble wrap, and in constant a cocoon of fluffiness to make sure they're not injured for the postseason. So, I expect we're going to see a lot of, um, you know, third, fourth options in relation to it. I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be scoreboard watching, but I mean, we don't really expect that the Titans are going to slip up in the last um, part of the season. And in fact, I think one of the fascinating things is going to be how, a little bit to your point, but how hard do the Broncos play? You'll know if the players believe if Fangio is going to be back. Because if the players believe Fangio is going to be back, they'll play harder because they want to impress the head coach is going to be there next year. If they think he's gone, then you're absolutely right, Brian. It'll be like, well, let's not go too hard here. Let's not mess up our future careers because we'll be looking for a job with the new guy or we'll be looking for a job in other locations um, next year. A very disappointing year in Denver, I think, in all fairness, guys, and I know our reaction of the draft, I think, to be fair, it was probably expected from April it was going to be disappointing because they still haven't addressed the most important position on the field. And the Chiefs, they've probably ended up in the right place, but what a roller coaster of a journey it's been. Um, I'm confused as to how the Chiefs and the Broncos will come out, and that's the problem and joy and pain with the last week of the season sometimes. You just don't know what the dynamics are. But for me, I'm with you. Chiefs on balance in relations with. But if the Broncos push Mart's divisional rival, it wouldn't surprise me. This is great because barring some sort of miracle moment, I don't have to talk about my team for the next two and a half, three months. Well, probably two and a half months. So uh, I'll say this. Um, I don't agree with you, Mark, about the players at the minute. And I mean that in a loving way. I think there is talk that he's staying, as in Fangio. And I think fans need to use their feet I think the players need to use whatever they need to do in terms of how they show up on Saturday. And this team will and needs to get blown out because then there needs to be a message sent to whoever's in charge of this team at the minute because there is nobody in charge of the team. I mean, Mattress Mick could do a better job at quarterback at the minute than Drew Locke probably could. And that is saying an awful lot. And the good thing is people in Colorado won't know what I'm talking about. And people in, you know, some other places might not know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't matter. The reality is this game will be over early. Uh, and it saddens me that we're sitting for, was it five, five, five years? Colin, 
Five? Is it five? Uh, the Broncos six years missing six, the, the playoffs. Six years. Yeah. Six they, years. They did um, have the winning season under Gary Kubiak following um, the Super victory, victory, but they didn't make the playoffs that year. Didn't make the playoffs. Doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. Nobody matters in this organization at the minute because nobody cares. The reality is the playoffs are next week. Nobody could care less. I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't sacked on Monday, but if he isn't sacked, there will be a riot uh, both online. Uh, and on my Twitter account because I am not going to be happy. But the Chiefs win by a scoreline which will cover the handicap very, very nicely. Can we move on now? Because I can see people well, want to jump well, in I here. But... I apologise to the Kaiser Chiefs because clearly they're not the only ones now who predict a riot. Michael McQuaid wow. also predicts a riot. Wow, that is Michael, shocking. Michael, I'd just like to say, if anybody who does um, follow us on our picks and put some money to their matchbook account on the Chiefs minus 11 and win, I suggest they go up and buy themselves a new mattress at Mattress Mix Shop because I actually drove by him, drove by this morning. In fact, he was in the yard. I actually saw him. He looked in good form. He wasn't throwing American football or practicing or anything, so he won't be declaring himself eligible for this game. But go and get yourself a new mattress after you win a few quid this weekend. If we win, I'll get Julian Simmons on the show next week. Is Mattress Mick a new sponsor of this show? Did I miss something? TG, TG Cahar had a great ma- uh, Mattress Mick tweet. That's where I see it as well. If you didn't see it, we are recording this on Thursday. Go back to the TG Cahar Twitter feed from Thursday. Look at it. Um, I, I spent far too long laughing at it uh, earlier. Kudos once again to the TG Car um, Twitter feed, which is always fantastic. Oh, and when Michael awesome. starts Monday's recap show, he always tends to have a little bit of a name for all of us. So I think, you know, this Monday it could be Michael Mattress Mick McQuaid. Just Mattress Mick. Mick, <laughs> Michael, go on. Uh, look, I, for, for anyone, of course, obviously watching this now, thinking we're live, we're not live. We're, come on, like it's, it's late, it's, it's Friday night. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long season. We've got a great show on Sunday, but we're not live tonight. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for we really, really appreciate it, and we can't wait for all the slagging. Are we going live Monday night? Of course we are. Of course, Monday's uh, going to be chaos. Joke. Yes. Joke. Right. Monday's going to be chaos. Late Black game. Monday, Michael. Black Monday. Come on, firing times. Joe Judge. Late God, game. Michael. Late game. Cowboys. Eagles. Cowboys minus two and a half. It's an interesting game, Colin, because. There's not going to be a lot of starters playing for the Cowboys, you would think, after chatting to blogging the boys there and speaking to other guys as well. This game is on Sky Sports. It's it was a it was an interesting game to pick, especially when the rumors were that ESPN at first pick. I I actually thought it would have made sense uh, to sit in the other day reminiscing over a cup of tea that um, maybe wrap the AFC West up. I, I understand that the that NBC pick it, but it would have been nice to have the Chiefs Broncos game. And then the Raiders, but then it just didn't work out. So yeah, it well, would it would have been. Um, this honestly, I I try and uh, to uh, and I generally do find something positive in most of the games. I really do, and I enjoy watching the Eagles. Uh, much to to Brian's uh, disdain, but. I am struggling to get excited about this particular game because it's going to be the backups. Mike McCarthy is playing coy and saying, oh, it might be the starters. But um, as Tony has hinted, I, th- I really think this will very likely be uh, a tale of the, the backups. So I, I I think that the the Cowboys could have probably done with starting players because they they just have it you know other than the win against Washington on offense they haven't looked right and um, 
they they need to to get right but Zeke's knee do, do you want to risk it and with everything else that that's going on so in a matchup of Cooper Rush versus Gardner Minshew I'm going to go Gardner Minshew I'm going to go with the Eagles to to get the the win um, even though I think that they will have loads of their starters including most of that impressive offensive line out um but I, I just think at home they'll they'll do enough and Nick Sirianni um will will guide them um to to victory. That said, the Cowboys probably will win it, but I'm gonna go Eagles. It's a very difficult game to 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 really make a proper analysis on because even the, the guests have been on tonight, they come toward four quarter, it could be backups against backups, and who has the better backups, and then you, like as Mark touched on, which backups is conscious that he may play in the playoffs and doesn't want to get injured in that particular game or in that second half. On a separate point, I think ESPN will be handing back these Saturday night games next year because at the start of the season, they gave up their 3, 3.15 a.m. game, you know, which you guys love because it seems to always be the Broncos, but that was the agreement. They'd pack in that game and they'd be honoured with two games for week 18. I'm sure they expected to have two better games than what they've been given, but the NFL really haven't thought this through. Um, for the game itself, I genuinely find it hard to make a pick. On Matchbook earlier in the week, it was minus seven to the Cowboys before the, the news came through that both sides were going to rest up players or certainly take players out at an early stage. I'll go with the Cowboys. I genuinely have no think. I just think maybe the, maybe the first teams will run up a little bit of a score on them and they'll be up by a couple of scores and maybe the, the Eagles will come back slightly. But interesting that the line is now minus two and a half. It's reflective of where the where matchbook are and where other bookies in, in Vegas are that they don't really know what to expect out of this game, bearing in mind the line had started at minus seven last week. Cowboys to win a, a game which really has very little significance at this stage. Uh well, we're talking about mattresses. That that Sonny's running wild. He's thinking of going to the mattresses already. And that's what the Eagles have been doing the last while. They've suddenly been running wild uh when it comes to their, you know. The focus of their gameplay. Um, God, guys, it, it, this is tough going. I, I don't think ESPN will be that upset, Brian. They've got Patrick Mahomes in one of the games, and people, he is a magnet from a TV audience perspective. And then they've got the Cowboys and the Eagles, two big TV markets on another game. It's the way it's panned out. I mean, I made a comment, what I guess earlier, it's a bit like the Game of Thrones. The, the, uh, pre, the, the second last episode was always better than the series finale, effectively. And um, that's kind of what we got this week. Like the whole week 18 slide, slate, I'll be frank, you can't get too excited. Unless the Jets somehow are beating the Bills, and then I'll be getting very, very excited. Um, it really does boil down to the Chargers-Raiders game for me for a bit of intrigue, passion, you know, you know excitement in, in many respects. So it's a little bit like the NFL did their fans a favor. They said, oh, we cut down your preseason games. Don't worry, we'll put an extra one on at the end of the season for you. Um, it's, you know, this game, I actually think the Cowboys will probably play their starters for a bit longer. I tend to agree with the argument that they want to flush out some of the, the rust from that Cardinals game, both on offense and defense, and just be efficient. So thinking that their first team units might play a quarter and a half or first two quarters, um, I think that gives them enough of a lead over a limited enough Eagles offense, and that will be enough to see them home in relation to this game. I definitely see, I mean, I've kind of raised it, Gallup being now, just get some game time with Dak and, and some of those other options uh, to help set them up right for the, off, uh, for the postseason. 
Um, but yeah, roll on next week. That's when it starts to get really, really tasty. Um, in terms of making a pick for this game, I would flip a coin, but I don't have one. I have something far more valuable at the minute uh, and very hard to find. Uh, an NHS lateral flow test. Negative, don't worry. But what I'm going to do is QR code side is the Cowboys. The blank slides the Eagles. It's the Cowboys, the Cowboys. There we go. I mean, like, really? Pregnancy testing kit to me, to be honest. But there you go. It's a lateral flow. Yeah, but the QR in the camera, it's a lateral flow. You had some news for hard to get at the minute, boys are free, but they're hard to get. Different show, different podcast. But uh, yes. Now, what are the news for us then, Michael? Now? Well, I'll bring down some lateral flow tests for <laughs> you, boys, on Saturday, uh, at, the, at the weekend when we see you in Dublin. That's it. That's it for, uh, for week 18 Saturday preview special. I want to thank everybody that's come on. And look, at the end of the day, we're talking about this Cowboys, Cowboys Eagles game. In three months' time, we would long to watch this game when there's no football. So enjoy the games this weekend. We're back at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning to break down the last the last week of the full NFL schedule for nine months. You could literally have a child in between the next nine months. That's how long it is. So enjoy it. We'll see is you that, on Sunday morning. Like, uh, any news for us, Michael? No, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> on that note, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks to your partners, trust on Matchbook. Have a nice night. Uh, have a good weekend. See you soon.